0: Let's get into week eight. I don't know if you've still been reading or if this has been a good week, but we're going to pick up with where Pastor David was this morning on the story of the Samaritan woman, but we're going to dig in a little bit differently. Uh, We're going to get into the contextual scriptures that we added to that story, and I want to start by asking, how many of you got breakfast this morning? I love donuts. They're, They're... I, 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 their death, I mean, I mean, our donuts each week are sponsored by the American Cardiology Association, (laughs) who sees it as job security, Um, but, uh, uh, you know, look, everybody eats. That's the dynamic thing about food. It's something all of us do. I've yet to meet anybody that doesn't eat. Everybody eats. And we love food. Food's fantastic. Food is tasty, by and large. Some of it's not. But, but the kinds we want to eat is. It's tasty. It's good. You enjoy eating. It's something that, that, that Sets off fireworks in my brain. I just enjoy it. I mean, it's just a marvelous thing to get to sit down and eat. Food is important to us. Pastor David talked this morning about how uh, if you lose uh, water, the effect that it has on you. And if you think back about the Samaritan woman in the story, Jesus with the woman at the well talked about water, but Jesus with his disciples talk about talks about food. So that one story's got food and drink, and just as if you don't drink water and you're not hydrated, it affects you. If you don't eat, it's it affects you, and how you eat affects you, because you can eat food that's nourishing, which doesn't really fit on that donut screen, does it? So we'll change that. That's the the, the breakfast of granola. Okay, there. It's nourishing. Food is is what gives you health and vibrancy and energy. And so this is fantastic. Jesus with his apostles, the apostles have gone away to get food while Jesus is visiting with the Samaritan woman. And they come back and they say, hey, we got the food. And Jesus says, well, I've been eating food. You know, I'm full. My food is to do the will of the Father. And the disciples are all, well, who gave him food? You know, that's our job. And they're trying to figure out because they don't understand what Jesus meant by food. But the fantastic thing about food is because everybody does it, because it's tasty, it's important, it's enjoyable, and it's nourishing, it makes a marvelous teaching metaphor. And so it's one that Jesus was able to use with his apostles, that his food, what he enjoys... What he consumes, what's important to him, what nourishes him, what fills him up is to do the will of God. Now, we took that, and if you're following along, for those who are visiting with us, one of the things our church is is beta testing, and our class is, what do we call it, beta beta testing, is the idea that what would happen if scripture were rearranged in such a way that as we read through, say, the Gospel of John, the book of Acts, and the book of Revelation. And we tried to plug the rest of the Bible in as just contextual scriptures to help give a semblance of meaning to that. So we've been reorganizing the Bible so that if you go this reading plan, you read the entire Bible, Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, in a year. But in the process of reading it through in a year, you're reading it in a contextualized pattern rather than trying to make it through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy... ...and still be on your reading program. So that's the goal. And I'm not sure that it works... ...but we're testing it, we're trying it... ...we're having some fun with it. So food as a metaphor is one that's such a good one... ...what Jesus was using has been used before... ...it's used in the Old Testament. Job 23 is the first passage that I used to, to put in there. And Job 23 is a marvelous chapter... We know the story of Job, hopefully. Job is lost so much. He's suffering in a way that does not seem right and in a way that does not seem fair. His children have been taken from him. His possessions have been taken from him. His health has been taken from him. And in the midst of that, he's asking the question, why? Why? And his friends are coming and saying, well, clearly it's because you're just a really, really bad dude. And all this time we never knew that. Job says, no, I'm really not. And in the midst of that, we have various vignettes and stories of Job's encounter with his friends. So I've put here the one from Job 23. Where Job says, today my complaint is bitter. This is a bad day for Job. My hand is heavy. On account of my groaning. Oh, I knew where I might find him. Bet I knew where I might find, him, that I might come to God's seat. I would, and he uses lawyer's terms, I would lay my case before him. If God would just physically appear, I would lay my complaints to him. I would fill my mouth with arguments. And I would know what his answer is. And I would understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in the greatness of his power? Would he just overwhelm me? Would he just roll right over me? No. He would pay attention to me. Therefore, an upright man could argue with him. And I would be acquitted forever by my judge. He would say, Job... You are not guilty. This is not fair. This is not right. Now this is Job. Okay? This is a a man. This is not a man who's got the fullness of the Holy Spirit and speaks as Jesus. This is a man whose life is being ripped apart. Who's struggling. Who's truly talking. We're getting insight into the heart and mind of this man. Righteous man. Hebrews, uh, in Hebrew, he's called a He's He's a righteous man. Behold, I go forward, but God's not there. I go backwards, but I don't perceive him. On the left hand, when he's working, I don't behold him. He turns to the right hand. Whoops. But I don't see him. But he knows the way I take. And when he's tried me, I will come out as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I've kept his way. I've not turned aside. I've not departed from the commandment of his lips. I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. Job is a man who recognizes in the midst of his despair and in the midst of things he does not understand, that even though he can't call God to the witness stand or call God to appear as judge, even though he can't cross-examine or make his case to God, even though he doesn't perceive where God is in the moment and why this stuff is going on, the righteous Job knows when all is said and done, God will bring him through. And the adversity in his life will help mold and shape who he is such that he is a better treasure in God's service. And in that regard, even as he does not understand, even as he does not have answers, even as he is not happy, he will still treasure the words of God more than his portion of food. A nice food analogy. We went from there to Habakkuk chapter 3. And Habakkuk, if you try to memorize, if you if you go to seminary and you want to be a preacher, um, there are certain things you have to do, and you you take a uh, you may take a class. We took a class called Minor Prophets, and in Minor Prophets, one of the things you have to do, actually no, it wasn't Minor Prophets. It was the Old Testament Survey class, where you had to to discuss. Um, And and be able to identify each of the minor prophets and what they're about. And so Habakkuk, we always remembered, Habakkuk talked back. Habakkuk talks back to the Lord. That's what he does. Much like Job was. And so the first two chapters contain this prayer back and forth as Habakkuk talks back to the Lord. Then chapter 3 has a prayer of Habakkuk, which is a beautiful prayer. It's the last chapter of the book. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. O Lord, I've heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it, make it known. Now, let me say Habakkuk. Uh, provides a nice little contrast to uh, uh, Job. Job is lamenting God for what's happening to Job personally. Habakkuk is lamenting God for what's happening to the nation of Israel. So it's on a much grander scale. But it's still the same toil, tug of war. It's just instead of, gee, my life's ruined, it's, gee, my whole world's ruined. Okay, So in wrath... Remember mercy. And he speaks of God coming from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covers the heavens, the earth full of his praise. He uses the weather as a metaphor here that God's brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hands. The plague. He measures the earth. He shook the nations, etc., etc. The mountains see him and writhed. And then get to the end of chapter six or verse 16. I hear what God is doing, and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bones. I feel it in my bones, my legs tremble beneath me, yet. I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. This is a nation thing. I know that the adversity coming on me will one day pass and move on. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines... The produce of the olive fail, the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, there be no herd in the stalls, even though all of my food, all of my security, all of my life, all of my being is stripped away. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer. And he makes me tread upon my high places. We've got a few people in here who are under the age of 18. By the book, by Hannah. Hernard, Hernard or Habard. I don't remember her name. It starts with H's. Who? Hernard. It's called Heinz Feet. On high places. It's taken from that passage out of Habakkuk. Everybody should read it before they turn 18. If you're past 18, read it anyway. Doesn't hurt. Hinds feet on high places. But if you're below the age of 18, everybody should read it. My kids, my nephews, read the book. Um, Now, this is the same metaphor. Jesus understood this metaphor. He's able to speak about the food of God being the message of God. And the message of God is something that Jesus receives as he delivers it. But that same food metaphor is found with people who are struggling. The nice thing about the Jesus metaphor is it wasn't only Jesus who ate that food, but the woman at the well did as well. Did you ever think about how did John know that story to tell it? When John wasn't there for those details? It's because the same woman who went into town and told it never quit telling it. Jesus touched her life. And that was a food that changed her identity. I'll also add one more freebie on that. I'm convinced that the woman at the well at first was playing with the idea that Jesus was hitting on her. Because Jesus says a man goes to her and starts talking when a Jewish man never would. And this is a woman who's clearly been around the block over and over and over again. And the men who have shown interest in her have shown interest in her for basically it looks like one reason the way the story's written. And so her comment to him is one of almost enticement. And that's why Jesus says, go get your husband and we'll talk. Jesus is making it clear, I'm not here to hit on you. When I'm talking about giving you living water, I'm talking about something much beyond the physical. And then the woman says, well, I don't have a husband. She's still playing for the hit. And Jesus doesn't even remotely go there. Lesson to all men. Jesus doesn't flirt with it. He says, Yeah, I know. You've had five. And the guy you're with right now is not your man. That's not the point. That's when she starts parsing the subjects. But it's a very interesting dynamic. Jesus is there to feed her. Not to feed her in temporal terms. But as this pastor David said, it's an eternal food. It's an eternal water. It's the real nourishment. It's the real food. Well, if we've got a minute, let's look at a couple more of these, then we'll move on to a couple, another day or two. Look at Psalm 63. I love Psalm 63, and, and I put it in here for a good... because it's just one of my favorite psalms. We have a couple of my favorite psalms uh, 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 today. And so let's look at Psalm 63 for a moment. Oh God... You are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there's no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power and your glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. I'll bless you as long as I live in your name. I'll lift up my hands. Look at this next verse. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. That's donuts. <laughs> I, that is the definition of a donut. Jesus is the donut of the soul. I'll have a dozen of those. Hot. Fresh. I. That's... That's the satisfaction. That's the food analogy. You know, there's a there was a famous psychologist. This is a freebie that's not in the lesson. I'm just throwing it in here. Jared says we're not supposed to do this. Shoot from the hip, but we're about to. Okay. Refocus, automatic focus. Abraham Maslow, anybody know him? His hierarchy? He says uh, his theory, in the and I really think he's right. His theory back in the 1950s, 60s, way back then, his theory was that there are certain base needs that people have. People have a base need for oxygen. They, you know, and, and they have a base need for food. They have a base need for water. And if you don't have oxygen and you're underwater, you really don't start thinking about your favorite opera. All you can think about, all you can think about is food. I'm not food, <laughs> that's, that's me, okay? All you can think about is oxygen. Okay. It, it, it's, it it is a driving, compelling need that trumps all others and won't let your mind go there. And and Maslow built this hierarchy of needs, and it's got everything from companionship to, to uh, sexual expression to, to to everything, finally ending with things like art. Um, truth is on here somewhere. Uh, 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 uh fear of safety, uh, bodily harm, is up above the base needs. You know, if you're underwater and people are shooting at you, bam, 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 bam. At some point, if you are out of oxygen, you'll surface, even though you may get shot, just to get a breath to go back down, because that need trumps the others. People realize this. Uh, 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 people will try to sell you things. Politicians will try to drive us by appealing to some of the most basic needs we've got. Knowing that we will give up certain rights we have if we need to to protect ourselves and our families. Okay? Now I only bring this up because I think there's a lot of truth in this. And I want us to understand Jesus is saying God is just as basic a need. As food, as water, as the air we breathe, that's who God is. And so we have that. We had the Isaiah passage also. We're going to skip that and, and end the day with uh, that day's reading with that. Let's go back to the PowerPoint and we'll move on then to the next day. So the next day was Jesus, Savior of the world. And I'd love to spend about 10 minutes on this one and then we'll do 10 minutes on the last day and we'll be done. Or not the last day, but one more day. Um, So, Jesus, Savior of the world. Now, I know what you're thinking. What does that have to do with Bed, Bath, and Beyond? Well, you're thinking that because you're saying Bed, Bath, and Beyond. And you don't know Kevin Parker. Kevin Parker's a lawyer at our firm. Kevin and I have been dear friends since 8th grade. Actually, he hated me in 8th grade. I liked him. But we've been good friends since ninth grade. Okay? Um, uh, Mutually. Uh, uh, Kevin Parker... Uh, Has some things that he's done since eighth and ninth grade, and and they're just lines. They're ingrained. It's the way his neural synapses work, and you know they're going to happen. And he's going to say it, and it's going to be done. One of them that doesn't go back to that, but goes back as far as Bed Bath and Beyond, in my knowledge, is anytime he sees one, he doesn't say, he doesn't ignore it. He doesn't say, Bed Bath, He says the same thing each time, and it's ingrained in my brain, and I want to ingrain it in yours. Are you ready? Bed, bath and beyond. Bed, bath and beyond. Okay? I it, I can't see one now without in my brain sometimes out loud. Bed, bath and beyond. Jesus savior of the world. Yes, he's going to save your soul which is reason enough to follow Him. But I want to tell you something. It's going to save your here and now. It's not just bed and bath. It's bed, bath and beyond. He's not just going to save your soul. He's going to save you today. He's going to save you tomorrow and beyond. He's going to save you in bed. He's going to save you in bath. He's going to save you beyond. He's going to save you when you eat. He's going to save you when you work. He's going to save you when you play. He's going to save you when you can't pay your bills. He's going to save you when you don't have any friends. He's going to save you when you don't know what you're doing with your life. You turn to Him in any way, shape, form, or fashion, and He is your Savior. The key is turn to Him. Bed, bath, and beyond. Next time you see that, don't just think bed, bath, beyond. Think about the Lord. Okay? We did some Job. Let's do a little more Job. Job 26. Now, this is when Job is actually saying good things about God, not just challenging him. Job 26. Job answers and says, How you have helped him who has no power. How you have saved the arm that has no strength. How you have counseled him who has no wisdom. How you have plentifully declared sound knowledge. With whose help have you uttered words? And whose breath has come out from you? You've done it all on your own. God has done it. God, you'll hear me say it countless times in this class. Because it's deeply ingrained in my soul. It is false to say God helps those who help themselves if we don't understand the counterpart. God helps the helpless and leaves the rest to help themselves. God helps those who need help. If you're desperate and you need help, turn to the Lord. One of the Psalms we added is Psalm 20 on this day. That is one of my all-time favorite psalms. Everybody needs to memorize that psalm. I memorize that psalm. Nephews, I'll pick on y'all. I pick on Blake all the time. Nephews, raise your hand. I only have one nephew in here. Okay, Davis, make your cousins come to church. No, I'm joking. They're they're in the youth program. They're a great place where they need to be. You memorize this, Davis. Everybody else... who. Duncan, you back there? Is that who I see? You're not 18 yet, are you? Memorize this. Everybody ought to have this memorized before age 18. If you're past 18, you're overdue. Psalm 20. And if you don't want to memorize the whole psalm, at least memorize this. Now, this psalm really works if you go back about 1800 years. Okay, don't think in terms of today. Because of some of the language. Some. Trust in chariots. And some trust in horses. But we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Amen. And that's the saving power of Jesus. And I don't care what you face in your life. Some trust in chariots and some trust in horses. But we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Bless their hearts, I'm freaking out some people in trial right now. I think there are probably at least 30 people there who are working on our team from at least 10, 15 different law firms. The investment of money from those 10 or 15 law firms in this case is on the order of $10 million. The other side will spend an easy $60 to $80 million to 80000000 dollars fighting the fight they've got three of the largest law firms in the world that have all of their people and 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 my crew has asked me to be the the trial lawyer and by that it and 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 i've told them i would be glad to do it but if i do it i'm like i I told them i said there's a story in the bible about king david And King David said he'd go fight the Philistines. Don't get me wrong, I don't have the King David complex. I don't measure up to him. I'm not saying I'm King David. I'm saying I learned a story, lesson here. So they give David all of the best armor of Saul. And Saul the king had the best armor. And David's clanking around in it and he just takes it off. And Saul says, what are you doing? He says, well, I've never tested this. And so I'm not going into battle with it. I'm going into battle with what I know works. And he goes down and he picks up five smooth stones. And the rest is history. Okay. So I told him. I, I gave that story. And I said, guys, if you want me to try it, I'm glad to try it. But I'm going to do it my way that works for me. And they said, that's fine. We'll be here to support you. You call the shots. Well, now they're just scared to death. Because they've got all this money invested in this thing. And I... I've got this attitude of, hey, guys, we're going to pray about it. We're going to do the very best we can. And we're going to trust the Lord with the results. They're saying, but but," they're saying, we don't know this Lord. So I sent an email out to him last uh, last week because uh, one, my dear friend, Richard Arsenault, they, they had set a meeting. Uh, Richard, by the way, not only reads these lessons each week, he emails them out to a whole host of lawyers around the country. He's a delightful man. He goes to a Catholic church because he said if he doesn't, his dad will die, and he doesn't want his dad to die. But he he said on on Saturday night he goes to mass at six o'clock. So everybody had this big meeting scheduled for six o'clock, and Richard sent an email out to the big people for the meeting Saturday night six o'clock. Say, can we move the meeting till seven? I've got mass at six. And I hit a reply all and I said, forgive me for intruding with my faith, but some trust in chariots and some trust in horses. We will trust in the name of the Lord our God. You go to mass. We'll do the meeting at seven because it, it's, 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 it is a different life perspective, but it is what we believe. And not because we're naive, because we know what God has done. That's Psalm 44, which was also the reading on this day after Psalm 20. Psalm 44. Look at this. Psalm 44. Oh God, we've heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us. What deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nation. Pharaoh had chariots. The Red Sea loved them. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted, our fathers. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. They didn't win their the land by their own sword. Their arm didn't save them. It was your right hand. It was your arm. It was the light of your face. For you delighted in them. You are my king, O God. Ordain salvation for Jacob. That's what we are. We are a people who desperately need the salvation that comes from Jesus Christ. He is the savior of the world. And so that's what we did with that story. If we go back to the PowerPoint, please. We've got ten minutes. Let's move back and let's, for the last ten minutes, talk for a moment about the Sermon on the Mount, which is really going to consume us for the next several weeks. John doesn't include it in the Gospel of John, so we've used the passage at the end of John 4 where John says Jesus went into Galilee and he taught. Because he taught the Sermon on the Mount in Galilee. So it's a good time for us just to have those two little hinge verses. Now, if you're reading along on this plan, you're going to be muttering and grumbling at me. Because you're going to say, oh, i have to flip through my Bible 28 times just to do this. Well, get on the internet. It's been done for you. With the app or with what Steve sends out. Or go ahead and just flip. Think of it as donuts and enjoy each bite. It's the fat rich food. And I have us flipping because I want us to understand that Jesus when he taught the Sermon on the Mount we started with the Beatitudes. Jesus' teaching overlaps and aligns with so many Old Testament passages. And I want you to see it because I want you to know that Jesus was not just the Son of God but as a man was a man of God's Word. He knew it it was deeply ingrained in him and he taught it. He taught it in a fullness. He didn't simply regurgitate it. He applied it, he extended it, and he infused it with greater meaning for his day and time. And it's marvelous to read it and to look at it in that sense. So if we look at Matthew 5, 1 through 3, which is where the be attitudes start, and yes, they're be Attitudes. These are attitudes we should have. But beatitudes doesn't really mean that. What beatitudes means is blessings. It's Hebrew for bless, or it's the Greek uh, uh, here. And that's why these start with blesseds. So Jesus opens his mouth. He teaches him saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we would read Matthew 5, 1 through 3. And after we read that, I send you to Isaiah 61. Because it's what Jesus was thinking about when he said it. Isaiah 61, verse 1. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. To bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound. We know it was one of Jesus' favorite passages. We know that Jesus saw it fulfilled in him because Jesus read it during a synagogue reading and said, today this passage is being fulfilled in your midst. So it's not surprising. Jesus is there to preach good news to the poor. What's his first thing he says? Blessed are the poor in spirit. But theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor doesn't simply mean the impoverished by economic standards. Isaiah talks about the poor being the broken-hearted, the captive, those who are imprisoned by life, those who need a Savior. And Jesus says, blessed are you, you're poor in spirit. You've got the kingdom of heaven. You may not see it today. You may not feel it today. You may be broken. You may be be hurting. But you're blessed because yours is the kingdom of heaven. Then he goes on. Blessed are those who mourn because they'll be comforted. In Matthew 5, 4. That goes back to the same Isaiah passage. Isaiah 61. It's the next verse. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. For they will be comforted. You see how they fit? See how they fit? The next one. Jesus says blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Matthew five five. Psalm is it 37. Psalm 37. I really like this psalm in here because this is what Jesus is talking about. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Look at what the psalm says. We're doing time wise. Yeah, we're getting close. Okay. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Don't be envious of wrongdoers. They will soon fade like grass, they'll wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Dwell in the land. Live your life. Befriend faithfulness. That can also be translated feed on faithfulness. Okay. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He'll bring forth your righteousness as the light. He'll bring forth your justice as the noonday. Look at the end here. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way, the man who carries out evil. Refrain from anger. Forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. It's the same word, inherits the earth. Those who wait for the Lord will inherit the earth. This whole idea that Jesus says in Matthew 5, when he says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, the land. It's a concept that comes back to the Psalms. You want to know what meek is? Meek doesn't mean someone who's wimpy. Jesus wasn't wimpy. He was a carpenter. Did you know that carpenters did not take their air guns in the day and their power saws and have the lumber delivered for them to sit there and go? Badum, 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 badum. Carpenters went out and found the trees. They cut the trees down. They made the lumber. They hauled the lumber. They cut the lumber without power tools. They didn't have simple... There were nails. But more often than not, they had auger bits. And they would auger holes. And they would shape pegs. Jesus was no wimp. He drove the money changers out of the temple. He was no wimp. Meekness is not wimpiness. You want a good definition of meekness, go back to Psalm 37 where it tells you exactly who the meek are that will inherit the earth. The meek are the ones who... Look at the start again. The meek are the ones who trust in the Lord, who do good, who delight in the Lord, commit their way to Him, trust in Him, who's still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him, who doesn't fret over the ways of someone who's prospering, who refrains from anger and forsakes wrath. This is it. You say, Lanier, you're stretching. No, I'm not. Keep reading. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. You look, he won't be there. But the meek shall inherit the earth. And delight themselves in abundant peace. This is the passage Jesus is talking about. This infuses Jesus with teaching with meaning. So if we go back to the PowerPoint. um, We're out of time. You can follow these. They're in your handout. You can read them. Boom, 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 boom. Hold on, hold on. Points for home. There we go. Three points for home, Dale Hearn, who's not here. Carrie, you tell him though, okay? Three points for home. Point number one. D- spend daily tasty time with the Lord. You're going to go for food each day. Spend some tasty time with the Lord. It's it's his food is rich and fat. But it does not pack on calories. It's like the dream donut. It's good for your health, and it's a donut. Trust God today and beyond. Take God with you everywhere. Trust Him in whatever you've got going on in your life, and faithfully, faithfully walk in His Word. That's meekness. Meekness can be strong, meekness can be firm, because meekness says I'm not the answer to anything in my life as far as solutions. Oh, don't get me wrong. I am the reason for all the problems in my life, or many of them. But in terms of solutions, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but I'm going to trust in the name of the Lord our God. And I hope you'll join me in that. Can I pray a blessing over y'all, please? Lord, I ask you to bless each person here. I'm sure... Not everybody's going through a valley right now, Lord, but I'm also confident that many people are because that's the nature of our walk with You. And for those on the mountaintop, God bless them. But for those in the valley right now, may they seek You. Save them. Reach out and save them. Guide them in a humble, meek, excited Walk of holy obedience. Desperately searching for you. And Lord may you be found. May you be found. In your faithfulness. And in your purpose. And in your salvation. Today. Tomorrow and beyond. Bless my friends Lord. Through Jesus our Lord. Amen.